0: Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan.
1: It's the most wonderful
0: time of the year. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. It's the college football bowl betting. I'm Stucky and with me as always is Colin Wilson. It's bowl season, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season.
1: It's the greatest time of the year. You get out the Christmas scotch, crack it open a little early. You know, you get some of the worst teams in college football that maybe shouldn't have made a bowl. They had a run there at the end. We got... We got marijuana, we got misdemeanors, we've got coaches on the move, we've got motivation, we got everything. I love it.
0: If you hate ball games, go listen to NPR. The greatest time of the year maybe maybe second greatest march is coming and this march is going to be epic but yeah i'm the college basketball guy you're the college football guy so i'll let you have it for this podcast uh by the way what what bowl what what bowls arkansas playing in I, I didn't see them on the
1: you know what first off we're a baseball school oh. i thought we made that clear and and second off we finished i think a half a point ahead of princeton in recruiting good job razorbacks
0: well done well done um all right for those not familiar Um, We are going to cover every bowl on this podcast. Well, not this podcast exactly. It's a five-part series. We're going to go chronologically. So today we will cover nine bowls that start on Friday. Um, If you're listening to this on Friday, we're starting today with the two bowls that are today. One in the afternoon. We'll kick things off. What what better way to kick things off than with the Bahamas Bowl uh, where there Mm -hmm. have been moose abound and horrible beats. Uh, over the past couple years, especially in regards to totals. I'll never forget when I was laying like two points in that miraculous comeback and who was that, Western Kentucky and somebody. Toledo, yeah. Last last year was Toledo too and the total. uh, There was like 24 points in the last five minutes. Just chaos ensues in the Bahamas Bowl. We'll get to that. We'll start there. We'll go all the way through Monday uh, and finish up in Tampa with the Gasparilla Bad Boy Mowers Bowl. Is that that
1: bowl with North Marshall and UCF? Is it still the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl? It's still the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl. Gasparilla's still around. I've seen Bad Boy Mowers on a few sporting events. Like, I, I don't know. It wasn't World Axe throwing, but it was something. I think I think Bad Boy Mowers is trying to get their name out there.
0: Yeah, so we'll go all the way through. We'll, I mean, in the middle, we'll cover teams like Arkansas State. So, look, there's, there's some representation from your state. Stop. Um, <laughs> uh, against FIU and the Camellia Bowl. I believe the Camellia Bowl doesn't have a sponsor, by the way. Or one of these bowls doesn't have a sp- sponsorless. list. Um, and one of these days, one of these years, I should say, the Action Network and uh, maybe Radio.com uh, will sponsor uh, a, pod, uh, a bowl eventually. Um, uh, it's coming one day. But before we dive into the first bowl, I did want to also mention we'll touch on maybe our favorite NFL play. At the end, we'll also touch on the FCS games uh, as we did last week, and we'll give uh, our favorite money line dog for the weekend as well. Um, so, be let's just dive right in here, Colin. We'll start in the Bahamas Bowl, Nassau, Bahamas, two p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We have Charlotte taking on Buffalo. Um, you know, we, right now the line is sitting at Buffalo minus six and a half. Over under has dropped a ton. It's you know it was I think fifty eight, mm-hmm. then it was sitting around fifty six, then it was sitting on fifty four, and now it's on fifty one. A lot of that is weather. Uh, there's going to be twenty eight, thirty mile an hour winds, uh, potential rain as well. You know when I first looked at this game, it's a Mac. There's a Mac team by the way, and and something to keep in mind just overall. Last couple of years, Big 12 has crushed in bowls. MAC has historically been really bad in bowls, right. especially the last couple of years. Pac 12 has been bad the last couple of years. Uh, money lines, you know, money line dogs come into play in a higher frequency in bowl season. And you know, keep in mind this. I always give this tip every single year during bowl season. If there, if you have a one point favorite or a one and a half point favorite, just or a two point favorite, go with the money line. Because there are these teams at the end of the game who are much more likely in the bad boy mowers meaningless bowl to go for two in the win instead of tying it up. Uh, same same with the dog. If the dog comes back and at the end ties it or you think they're going to tie it, they'll, they'll just go for two. It's a, it's a meaningless bowl game. Now, it's different in the college football playoff. Uh, but just keep that in mind um, when you're betting these bowls that the, you know, the, these teams just want to go for the win at the end. There's no reason to play overtimes.
1: Yeah, and it's so, funny we mentioned we, we you mentioned that, which is a great strategy, and I one hundred percent back it. I feel like Air Force and Washington State in the Cheez Bowl is going to be the one that bites us on the ass with that. But I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because Sonny Dykes loves to go for two at the end of the game, and with coaches more and more going for going for two, I think we're going to see a lot more of that here uh, during this bowl season.
0: Well, looking at this Charlotte Buffalo game, look when I first look at it, like I all um, all right, can I find a reason to? fade the Mac team and you know I look at and I personally make this line four so you know it's sitting at six and a half potentially seven I think if it gets to seven I may have to dabble with Charlotte and by the way you could throw we're going to talk about motivation we're going to talk about matchups we're going to talk about coaching and players being out you could throw motivation out the window in this game both teams will be highly motivated neither program has ever won a bowl game this is Charlotte's first ever bowl appearance and this is Buffalo's fourth they're 0-3 uh, in their three prior uh, bowl appearances. But when I look at this, you know, Buffalo has an outstanding rushing, it's outstanding offensive line. They have, you know, a great sophomore running back in Jared Patterson. He's only one of seven backs on, on the year that have rushed for over 1,500 yards. And Charlotte's defensive line, you know, then they have run for, you know, they played a bunch of MAC teams who aren't the best run defenses in the country. And if you look at some of the splits for Buffalo, you know, they average six and a half yards per carry in conference – but only four and a half yards per carry out of conference. But Charlotte kind of profiles like a Mac team, uh, especially on their defensive line. You know, if you look at the Mac, eight of the 11 other Mac teams not named Buffalo ranked 85th or worse in yards per rush allowed. So I do think the Buffalo should have some success running the ball. Uh, the You know, Charlotte also likes to run the ball, but they're going against a much stiffer Buffalo front seven, you know, the Bulls were one of eight teams in FBS to allow fewer than three yards per carry, Um, you know, and Charlotte allowed five, which is 110th in the nation. So, you know, it's worth mentioning Charlotte have a big advantage on special teams. Um, But, you know, Buffalo is one of the worst special teams units in the country, but, you know, Charlotte actually has a more capable aerial attack than Buffalo, but the winds might negate that. So then, you know, if you look 28 miles per hour winds, Then, you know, potential rain. And if it comes down to which rushing attack is going to have more success, you have to lean towards Buffalo, uh, which is why you might see this, why you might be seeing this line move up. Uh, What are your thoughts
1: here? The motivational angle, like you mentioned, can be played both ways. And I think it's overhyped in a lot of bowls, unless you're actually connected into the locker room to know what these kids are going through. I think, you know, a lot of people are just guessing maybe to create content or whatever, but really trying to find motivation in teams is, is really hard to do. You kind of need to have a connection. I mean, there are things like Buffalo's Never bowl. This is Charlotte's first ever. Uh, Charlotte players and some, uh, I think the band, the band didn't have any passports. Charlotte can't afford to send their band down there. Uh, we're getting a band sure. handicap right now? Amazing. We're, we're getting a band. We're going to get a band handicap. I told you, I read everything. So, I mean... So they're going to Charlotte's going to get $225,000 for this bowl game. But all of that gets absorbed by Conference USA, which I think is still broke. I mean, they're just a broke conference. They don't have any money. So the spirit squads have to get passports. They have to pay for their own instruments to go. And the, the school is just not going to pay for that. So I think there's going to be like a rogue 13 to 18 kids maybe a french horn in the stands for charlotte so we'll we'll have to keep our eyes out for the size of the band but no i mean motivation is hard to cap here i mean both these teams should be want to be in this i think this is an extremely slow paced game so not only the reason i hit 58 early in the week once a forecast gets to about seven days in advance they have a pretty good idea what it's going to be like once you get three days away you can really trust accuweather and places and like the national weather service so once I saw that like sustained wins over 25 miles an hour, uh, I knew in the back of my head that both these teams are top 25 in run rate. They love to run the ball. It's like a 70-30 split. There's not a lot of pass attempts going on. And they're outside the top 100 in pace. That is seconds per play. So seconds per play is like... How quick am I getting up to the center and how quick am I going to snap the ball? And not only are these teams outside the top 100, they love to run all the time. So I just see the clock just ticking like crazy in this game. And considering the wins, you're probably not going to get a whole bunch of, you know, you're not going to get a whole bunch of throwing. Now, you mentioned the special teams advantage. To go even deeper into special teams, Charlotte is 10th in the country in field goal efficiency. But Buffalo is 116th. So that has me looking at Charlotte, too. If I can get it up to seven, I'm going to end up playing Charlotte. I have it lined at five and a half. Uh, the Mac, notoriously, I think, you know, what, 14 and 20 against the spread over, I don't know, I think since the college football playoff era. And, you know, I mean, I think they've played against the spread like around 500 ball the last three years. But, I mean, uh, like I said in the Bull confidence piece over in the Action Network, if you guys haven't checked it out, Ohio is the only Mac team to actually win a bowl straight up since 2016 and they're the only program so it's tough to you know it's tough to take a team outright from the Mac but you know, I think Stuck mentioned it, it's the rush defense of Buffalo that kind of makes the difference here. Charlotte's 99th in finishing drives. Buffalo's 43rd in finishing drives. That's a big advantage for Buffalo. Each defense is better than the offensive opponent in finishing drives. So the defenses should stand out here. Uh, and you know, the wind is gonna wreak havoc on Buffalo's kicking. Uh, the Bulls are top 30 in defensive rushing success rate. So as great as Charlotte is, even when Benny LeMay was out behind this offensive line, they still had multiple backs that were clocking over a hundred yards a game. So Charlotte can run the ball. The problem is, is Buffalo's defense is excellent at stopping the rush. So I see a lot of clock getting burned. I see a lot of running. I, I you know, I projected the game at 54, so I, I can't say go ahead and take 51. Maybe if there's a quick score, play alive live under. Uh, but I, I do like Charlotte, especially once it gets to the 7. And if I can't get the 7, if I get a minus 115, if I can get a minus 115 on the 7, I'll take it pregame. If not, I'll play it live to get the 7.
0: Uh, and I'll put you on the spot here uh, if you want to pull up your piece. We didn't go, we didn't, uh, I didn't mention this before, which I should have. Well, m- maybe just for at the end of each of these games, mention where you have, which team you ended up taking um, and for yeah. how many points in your confidence pool.
1: Yeah, for the confidence pool, I took Buffalo at 14. So I'm not real comfortable taking a MAC team to win, but you know Buffalo's defense should stand out here. Their field goal kicking is what makes me think Charlotte's going to cover. So I'm I'm playing it awful tight here. Low confidence on Buffalo to win. Uh, Charlotte uh, at the seven, I like.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, because the thing is, is that Charlotte's field goal advantage and their ability to pass more, you know, pass better, I should say. Could be completely negated by the wind, which is the big factor here and really favors Buffalo and how they want to play. Uh, I have this around if you get seven at a pool, I would go with uh, Charlotte. If you get under seven, I might go with Buffalo. I have this at at number five in my confidence pool.
1: And, and so yeah, and something to mention too about the wind. I know I know that, that we talk about crosswind orientation, like places like Kansas, it's, it's really bad in the stadium, how it whips around. So with the Bahamas, it's more it's not really from sideline to sideline. It's more at a 45 degree angle uh, um, as far as the sideline to the end zone. So what you need to look at and with, and with sustained winds at 25 miles an hour and gusts over 30, what you really need to look for is not really who gets the ball first. But who's going to get the direction of the wind in the fourth quarter? That's going to play, to me, you're going to be able to live bet on teams that have the wind at their back in certain quarters and live bet the other team in the second and fourth quarter uh, You know, because the field goal kicking can only be helped when the wind is blowing that way.
0: Yep, great point there. Um, All right, so let's move on to – look, we're going to go from the Bahamas at 2 in the afternoon to Frisco, Texas at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN2. In the Frisco Bowl, this is between Utah State and, oh boy, do we have news on this game, and Kent State. (laughs) Uh, Our boys, our Kent State boys, I can tell you that I wrote up a piece on ActionNetwork.com and the Action App early about the numbers that I was targeting, and Kent State was one of them, above a touchdown. You know, I made it four without news, and I was thinking that the news might be that Jordan Love – you know, might declare for the NFL draft and sit out. I didn't anticipate, mm-hmm. and then, the, you know, I didn't anticipate marijuana uh, coming into play with three of their key players who now look like they're going to play. Uh, I don't know. Utah State, come on. I mean, it's the Frisco Bowl. Uh, you can't set a standard of, of your program. Uh, I don't mean, but Jordan Love, man, just continues to crush his draft stock. So, as of right now, it looks like everyone is going to play for Utah State. I still think the line is too high. Um, Utah State just, you know, down the stretch, they didn't really close well to me. And Kent State just charged out of nowhere. This is a team that was three and six on the season. Down, you know, they, they needed a couple miracle wins. I mean, they're down to Buffalo, they're down 27-3, I believe, in going into the fourth quarter, and they won thirty to twenty seven or twenty-four-three. Something crazy. They won 30 to 27 in regulation. Um, you know, they got to 6 and 6. This means a lot for their program um, that Sean Lewis is slowly turning around. So I think, you know, from where they were and uh, the, you know, just 3 and 6, looking like there's no shot at a ball, I think they'll really be excited to be here in first go. I'm not really sure how you, excited Utah State will be. And look, you said it with the motivation. A lot of times you're guessing, but these kids are. Um, You know, I have a lot of reasons to believe that Kent State will care. And I actually have some friends who are friends with some friends of the Kent State program who said that they are jacked for this. But on the other side, I don't know. I don't have any inside information on Utah State, but just look at it on the surface. There's, you know, you're getting drug kids in trouble for weed. And I mean, weed isn't the end of the world, but it's just like a it's a focus thing. I mean, how much are they really caring right now? Um, So I think the motivational angle here, there's enough for me to say this heavily favors Kent State. I think a Kent State at seven or above is definitely a play. Uh, Sprinkle a little money line. What do you see here?
1: Yeah, the motivation thing is a weird one, especially with this Utah State team. Because one year ago, we all sat around and we said – Matt Wells has left Utah State. He's on his way down to Texas Tech. We don't know who's coaching. They've left some assistant coaches behind to try to get him through the bowl. We don't think that there's going to be any motivation for the Utah State team. They're going up against Seth Luttrell and North Texas in the Mean Green. And, oh, yeah, Seth Luttrell's being considered for the Kansas State job. And and this is uh, a great coach that you just, you know, you got to get behind him and take the Mean Green. Next thing you know, Utah State's, I I don't know, what what, they have 50 by the third quarter? I mean, Utah State – Bolt raced North Texas last year on an on an interim a bunch of assistants around. I'm not even sure who the interim was. Lost coach. Embarrassed them. So to sit there and say that, well, now we've got Jordan Love with the marijuana, uh, you know, and and Gary Anderson, the first year coach, we we don't really know what's going on inside that program. I can tell you what I'm reading from local beat writers is that there are some that argue, give me a break, a marijuana bust. You know, our state is next to Colorado and between Washington, it's legalized in so many different places. Uh, you, you know, why, why should why should Jordan Love be penalized for this? And then there's other beat writers that kind of shake their finger and say, we have a student code of conduct. Uh, he absolutely, and, and the leading rusher, by the way, uh, was also Gerald Bright. He was also uh, involved in this. So, you know, there, there are some that think that they should sit. And, and I don't know. And, and that leads me to believe that there could be a decision made by Utah State. Uh, somebody you know, outside of the athletic program that can make the decision. The NCA could make a decision. Uh, Jordan Love's court date is set for later this month. So there's not going to be anything decided like legally uh, for a while. So uh, the, uh, to me, you're right. You got to set multiple point spreads. And right now we're sitting at six and a half in the market before the game was in, I I made this game five and a half. And that's why when openers came out and I saw nine and a half, I was happy to hit nine and a half. and, And I think everybody should have hit it up until seven. And then since I make it five and a half without Jordan Love, his drop off to Henry Columbia, the backup, I would gauge at about three and a half points. So I don't think if the news comes out, I don't think I would take Kent State below three and a half. So let's just set the you know, let's just set the bar right here. Jordan Love is out. I wouldn't go past three and a half. Otherwise, I'd sit around and try to wait to get a seven. So that's kind of how you got to play this whole Jordan Love news and, and the and, and all that. And you're right. Kent State should be completely motivated. They've just been they, they've been, the you know, the kids down the stretch that are on a hot streak, and Sean Lewis is—he's had a vision for this program since the second he got there. The pace of play in this game should be unbelievable. Flying. Seconds, yeah, seconds per play. Kent State eighth in the country. Seconds per play. Utah State second in the country. Second and eighth in the country. So, I mean, this is this is going to be up and down the field. I, I you know, the problem is—is is my projection is lower than the sixty-seven and a half, sixty-eight? And as I'm looking at it, it looks like we're going to get a. Some movement here on the total, but I mean, I just can't see the thing that bothers me about the total is. Utah State has had such a problem in the red zone. They have been abysmal. And if you followed us all season long, we've been on some Utah State unders this year because Jordan Love and the entire offense has been terrible in the red zone. They've been 126 in points per attempt. Their defense is 126 in opponent points per attempt. So that makes it hard for me to go over. But yeah, I like Kent here. Anything seven and below, um, you know, it's going to be tough to say if they win this thing outright because, you know, it is a MAC team. But, uh, you know, Kent's playing differently than any MAC team we've seen in in years. They don't really fit the mold. They they're you know they I think Sean Lewis is going to bring a different brand up there to the MAC.
0: Well, and you mentioned that they don't play like any other MAC team. Also, unlike most MAC teams, um, they also they have a great special teams Kent State, which is worth mentioning. Um, they have uh, I think if you go by S they're a top fifteen unit. Utah State isn't bad. They're you know around 50th, so Kent State should have an advantage on special teams as well. One of the only games of this weekend that I chose for over 25 points uh, with Kent State. Now, if you can't find a seven out there, one of the things that you could do is potentially play Kent State for the first half. The thinking behind that, that oh, Utah State, say that Jordan Love and Bright and everyone is allowed to play, the coaches you know, wanting to set a standard that, look, we we care about discipline and student athletes. You could see maybe them get suspended for the first quarter, maybe a couple drives, maybe the first half. I don't know. But if they're going to play, um, maybe you see you know a coach's self-imposed punishment early in the game, which then obviously would have a bigger impact on the first half. So if he can't get seven, maybe look at the first half for Kent State.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, and I mean, if there is suspension, then you're going to get value on that number. But you know, this Utah State defense—they've got to adjust to the pace that Kent State is going to play. And don't think for a second that Sean Lewis is not going to have some special plays diagrammed up for for this bowl game. So, uh, you know, I I like Kent State, but you know, it it, I, I think the number is good down to about three and a half.
0: Yep. All right. So let's move on to Saturday. We'll get things kicked off. Why not at noon, by the way? We don't, we, we're we're going to start two bowls at 2 and 2.30, not one at noon, which I, I'm not a fan of. But um, look, we have bowls on Saturday. We have six, I think, six bowls on Saturday. So I'm not going to complain too much. And we also have some college basketball as well to hold you over from noon until 2 Eastern. But we'll start at 2 Eastern in Albuquerque in the New Mexico Bowl between Central Michigan and San Diego State. Uh, this line right now is currently sitting at San Diego State uh, minus three and a half. This line opened at six and a half, and uh, it's now dropped to three and a half. Over unders dropped from 41 and a half to 40 and a half. This is one of those games where, look, it's a MAC team. How good is Central Michigan? I don't, a lot of their advanced numbers are okay, but their schedule was pretty easy. They played in the MAC. So, how much does that translate out? Uh, you know, into a bowl game, which is one of the reasons why maybe the Mac hasn't performed well in years past, is they don't, you know, they're usually worse than, you know, the, a lot of their numbers state because the Mac competition isn't as great. But when you're looking at San Diego State, the first thing you have to look at here is their offense is just absolutely horrendous. I mean, I was looking at some of the stats today. And you should have Agnew back, I believe, at quarterback. But let me just throw this out there: San Diego State this year had eight plays of thirty-plus yards. Eight. That's it. Not. It's the entire year. That's dead last. That the second worst is Northwestern. So picture Northwestern's offense. That's probably a team that you've seen more often than San Diego State. Northwestern. How about Old Dominion? I don't know if many of you've seen them, but those offenses are dreadful. The, both of those offenses at 13. Those are the second. That's the second fewest. This San Diego State offense is really bad. It's a pain to watch. Um, they're one of the worst, probably the worst bowl offense uh, that we have. Central Michigan, you know, San Diego State's special teams are really good, and their defense is really good. I mean, this defense is awesome across the board. Uh, they, You know, they only allowed 4.6 yards per play, which is top 10 nationally. And by the way, that's what their offense averages, 4.6 yards per play, which is the worst among all bowl teams, 123rd of the nation. So I think that that, you know, they also don't even average they, – they're the only bowl team that doesn't average at least 20 points per game. UMass averaged more points than San Diego State. So, you know, I think that 4.6 sums it up perfectly because, you know, it shows you how and nap that's a bottom 10 offense from a yards per play perspective and a top 10 defense, good special teams. You know, I think Central Michigan has the – I mean, anyone has the defense to slow the San Diego State team down. They, won, they beat Weber State at home 6-0. Um, you know, it's a team that hasn't given up more than 24 points all year, um, the San Diego State defense. But I think Central Michigan, they have enough firepower to maybe break through a couple times with Dormandy. They have 2,000-yard uh, backs um, and some talented receivers on the outside, you know, Plimpton and Sullivan. Um, so I'm leading to Central Michigan here especially if I can get four, but the whole Mac thing is scaring me. And then the question comes to San Diego state care. Maybe I'm just being a little biased because the last couple years, and, and you know, if you look back the last five, six years, there haven't been great performances in bowls. And last year they lost 27, nothing to a Mac team, Ohio. Um, so what do you see here in this bowl? <sighs>
1: Well, the play for me on this bowl is going to be first half under. Uh, you know, there's a couple of reasons here. Like this is going to be the first time that Dormady is going to see a 3-3-5 defense. So the Central Michigan quarterback, uh, you know, he's going to see a 3-3-5 front from San Diego State that they have just been able to shut down everybody that they've played. Uh, you know, the San Diego State Uh, defense and special teams. They're just going to dictate and enforce field position and tons of punts. So I think the number is already low enough at 41, 40 and a half to where I think the better value is going to be on the first half under, specifically until Central Michigan gets comfortable looking at Uh, San Diego State's front. And you're right. I mean, those those number of plays that they had, uh, what is it, eight total plays that have gone for that long? I think they all came against Fresno State. That's when Ryan Agnew had a 300-yard passing game. It was the first time San Diego State had had a 300-yard passing game since 2016. Uh, And, you know, Central Michigan is 68th in opponent passing success rate. So... uh, Listen, San Diego State's going to have to go to the air. They're 130th in rushing. They don't have Jawan Washington. He's been hurt and beat up and banged up and, and hamstrings and all kinds of stuff. You know, the Aztecs are 118th in rushing success rate, 130th in in rushing explosiveness, and that's something that Central Michigan is really good to defend. So, you know, they're in defensively Central Michigan's 11th in line yards, first in the nation in stuff rate. So, you know, if Rocky Long wants to get any points on the board, he's going to have to go to the air in this spread RPO offense that he put in. It just, it hasn't translated to any points whatsoever. Now, having said all that, the Aztecs went 11 and 1 to the under on the season. Vegas just can't set a number low enough for these guys. And I think that that's what's kind of made this number as low as it is, because my projection on this game is at least a touchdown higher. So I think, you know, Vegas knows exactly how everybody thinks that San Diego state is going to be so low in scoring. But with this number at 40, it's the same thing as we had with army and, 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 uh, and, and, and Navy last week. I mean, you have one special teams or, or one uh, defensive score here and it could blow it open. So I do like the first half under based upon the three, three, five, look the dormity, the quarterback for central Michigan. Is going to see for the first time, um, you know, and, and Central Michigan's top twenty in plenty of defensive uh, areas. Uh, the thing you have to watch out for, like I said, is San Diego State's eleventh and uh, SP plus special teams. Uh, so there could be a score on that front, you know. And I look at Central Michigan. I'm not a believer in these guys whatsoever. The strength of schedule of these two teams is like 121st and 117th. So it's not like they've been world beaters or anything. But Central Michigan hasn't beaten a single bowl team except for Eastern Michigan. And Eastern Michigan, I think, was the very last team that was selected to go to a bowl. Central Michigan's three-game hot streak in November was against Northern Illinois, Ball State, and Toledo. They were hammered by Western Michigan. They were hammered by Wisconsin. Um, They had a close game with Miami of Florida, but who isn't these days? So, you know, for me, first half under, uh, I think they get it figured out at some point. Some points start to come in at some point, so maybe a second half over or maybe a live over, but for me, it's a first half under. As for a confidence pool, I took San Diego State on a low confidence of fifteen in this game. Not comfortable with it whatsoever. But when you get down, you know, start, you know, trying to have confidence in, in these games at the bottom half is, is tough to find. But I do think San Diego State's defense is good enough, and Rocky Long should have some sort of revenge or motivation in his brain. He got blanked by Ohio last year, twenty-seven to zero, which is a bit embarrassing. But that takes me back to this early signing period. Rocky Long mentioned multiple times last year. That he just didn't have time to get the practices in to get ready for Ohio, and I think that was the same case this year. Is that he cares more about the recruiting for San Diego State and the long term and the long run to spend most of his time doing that instead of getting all these practices in, getting ready for Central Michigan. So we're going to find out. Rocky Long's lost the last two bowl games, and they were both before Christmas uh, against Army, and then last year against Ohio. And he may treat this new signing period, uh, you know, that happens like a week before Christmas. He that may be his priority over these bowl games. So we're going to find out here too.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the way that I cap the motivation in bowls is, you know, ultimately the number is the king. So if I am if I know that, you know, one team is really motivated, the other team doesn't care, but the line is seven points off towards the team that I know doesn't care, I'm not going to play, you know, against that team. Um, but what I do is I usually think there's like three or four bowl games where I, I can confidently say, okay, I think that this team is going to have a motivational edge. And then there's about... You know, maybe 10 or so that i say, all right, I think that uh, maybe a little bit. So it might push me over the edge to a play. And then the rest, I just assume that there's no edge, Um, you know, especially when you get to the college football playoffs and the more meaningful bowl games. But in this game, I think that you can lean towards maybe Central Michigan. I know Central Michigan will care. This is a team that won one game last year, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, they've lost all four bowl appearances since 2012. Meanwhile, San Diego State, they're 8-9 all-time bowls. But this is their 10th straight year of being in a bowl. And, you know, this is a team that was in the hunt for a division championship to go to the Mountain West Conference championship up until – You know, the final week of the final weeks of the season. So, you know, are they really excited to play a MAC team in New Mexico? You could argue no. Um, You know, one other thing I'll mention is Central Michigan, just I don't know if it's, uh, I think it's more luck than anything, but they had, they lost 15 fumbles this year out of 23 total. Um, So if you're looking for a fumble luck regression candidate in the positive way, it would be Central Michigan. Um, All right. So, Yeah, I have this game, you know, around 10 uh, for confidence. If you can get four, I might look Central Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, I have this at number four in my confidence pool. So uh, a game that I don't think that there's – I'm not that confident in uh, from a confidence pool perspective. All right, let's move on on Saturday to uh, 2.30 Eastern. So we'll have two bowls going on at once, and then in a little bit we'll get a third one coming in here. Uh, But this is the Cure Bowl in Orlando between Georgia Southern and Liberty you call it the cure bowl i call it the contrast bowl uh these are two completely (laughs) different completely different teams from a scheme perspective um you know you have georgia southern a triple option team and then liberty and they're very slow and methodical snail-like and then you have liberty which is this fast-paced aerial attack led by buckshot calvert uh antonio gandy golden one of the best receivers in the nation um they love to air it out now, one of the things that, you know, and Liberty, this this should obviously, these are two newer programs uh, to FBS. Obviously, Liberty is a little newer, and this is their, um, you know, I, I think both teams will be motivated here because it's important for, you know, these newer programs. So I don't think this is a motivational game. You know, Georgia Southern's been around a little longer. They have prior bowl victories, including last year. But this is Liberty's first bowl appearance. You know that they will be, Extremely excited for this game, um, but from a matchup perspective, look. I think that you have the first thing you have to look at here, and it's keeping me off Liberty, is because I make this game closer to a pick. Is that there, there's rain in the forecast, potential winds seventeen, eighteen miles per hour, and that's the only reason that I haven't bet Liberty, and I took actually a piece of the under at fifty eight and a half, which I thought got way too high, because if the Liberty passing attack is limited. You know, that's really going to hurt them. And then you're going to have Georgia Southern with the ball just controlling the clock. It's more of a ground game. And then if that's the case, this total is way too high. Um, You know, one of the things you have to mention with Liberty always is because in normal weather conditions, Liberty would be able to throw in the secondary. It's an exploitable secondary. But the weather really throws a wrench into it. Um, But one of the things you have to mention with Liberty is, all right, what am I seeing here with them? Like, are are there – how much do I have to discount their numbers? Because they have seven wins. But the only team that they beat that with a pulse is Buffalo. Here are their other six wins. UMass, New Mexico, New Mexico State twice, and two FCS teams. <laughs> Those were six other wins. As bad of wins as you could possibly have. But I know they'll be motivated. I think that they can throw the ball. but the, I know that they can throw the ball in Georgia Southern normal weather conditions. But the rain and wind makes it tough. Um, I like the under here, especially with the weather. What do you see in the Cure Bowl?
1: Yeah. yeah actually, I think I'm going to put some money in on the under. I meant to do that as well. I mean, I project this game at around 51. So, yeah, there's definitely value here. And I know... My projection is being dragged down by Georgia Southern. Their pace of play, their yards per play, just the triple option offense. You're never going to get uh, a really high projection for a team total on a Georgia on a triple option team that that runs as slow as they do. This is the biggest game. I mean, all, all due respect to to the New Mexico Bowl. But my attention is going to be so much on Hugh Freeze, Buckshot Calvert, a team that you and I have loved for two years. Uh, we've had to put them down a couple times, uh, and not, you know, not bet on them for a while. They they've done us dirty a couple times, but man, when they're on, they're on, and they've been a lot of fun to watch. And I would argue that they're not even a seven and five team. If Hugh Freeze is on the sidelines during the first couple games, he mentioned it a ton. I mean, he was in the uh, he was in the hospital bed uh, in the press box for Syracuse. He was in the dental chair down for Louisiana Lafayette, uh, and he mentioned it a couple times, and it's true. If he'd have been on the sidelines with Buckshot Calvert, uh, the games would have you know, been a lot closer, or there would have been better offensive output, because once Buckshot got through his first three drives, there just wasn't that communication with him and Hugh Freeze about adjustments in the middle of the game. That got relieved once Hugh Freeze got into some sort of Hell in the Cell cage that they put on the sideline For like their third or fourth game So that all relieved itself And then Liberty took off and here we are in the Cure Bowl So uh, I I do think they're better than A 7-5 and team Um, But you know this is the biggest game in Liberty History This is a team that was NAIA independent in 1980 And here we are FBS level uh, trying to get into the Conference USA, trying to get into the Sun Belt. I mean, I've said this a billion times. They tried to play Conference USA $24 million to get in. Conference USA said no. They offered Sunbelt a whole bunch of money. It's undisclosed. We don't know how much it was, but Sunbelt said no. They're not going to take what Liberty is and, and, and their university and their beliefs, and they don't want them in the conference. So Hugh Free signed a multi-year uh, extension uh, just within this past week, um, you know, and I think that that plays really big into what he's trying to build there at Liberty or at least set himself up for his next job possibly in the SEC Hugh freezes is 3 and 2 lifetime in bowls. He last won the 2015 Sugar uh, against Oklahoma State. So, definitely the Cure Bowl is going to be <laughs> the biggest on his resume. Uh, you mentioned two different teams in pace and style of play. Georgia Southern's 129th in seconds per play, Liberty's 35th. So, really, there's going to be kind of a, a tug of war here about how what the pace of the game is going to be. Uh, ULL rang up Liberty for 400 yards on the ground. And that did give me some pause because. Liberty's game against Rutgers, Liberty's game against Louisiana, it showed that a decent rushing attack can really get something done against Liberty. But Georgia Southern's 123rd on third down conversions, and that's backed by a power success rate of 85th. Liberty on defense is actually really good in third and fourth downs when it's just within two yards. Uh, Liberty's 16th in power success rate on defense, which means that they should stop Georgia Southern when it matters on third and fourth downs. Eagles are 86th in defensive passing success. You mentioned that. That is something that's going to be exposed. Uh, They're 75th against explosive passing. So if Buckshot's accurate, which we know he likes to throw over and around people, if he's accurate, he's going to get some points on the board. I would back Liberty down to four. Uh, I, I think they're. I mean, I bought them at nine and a half, eight and a half, eight, seven, and I put some money line down. This is one of those games you're going to buy a dog, get some money line down too. Uh, I think I think Liberty is going to be. I, I don't. I mean, I know I talked about motivation, but this is an all time. Game for Liberty because they've never played an FBS bowl before, and they had a specific contract written out just for the Cure Bowl. So this is something that's been talked about and wanted for a long time. And they're going up against a Sun Belt conference that the administrators despise. So big time game for Liberty here. um But yeah, I'm back in Liberty, and I, did, I think you're right on the under, and I'm going to get in on some of that action here while we podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean a couple other things worth mentioning. Liberty's run defensive numbers they are ugly, which is pause for concern uh it's reason for concern I mean they' have rushing success for 82nd they're 115th in line yards so it's uh, there's some things there that worry you but you have to remember that there's some extra preparation time which always will help when you're playing a triple option team um, you know it's not like during the season when you have to just a quick turnaround and then you're playing a, a unique offense that you're not used to seeing um, so the time off will help Liberty and then you know, I would be remiss without mentioning the special teams. Georgia Southern will have a major special teams advantage. They have the kicker advantage, They and then in, in the field position could be tipped in their favor because they're a lot better on punts and punt returning, um, so worth mentioning there. But keep an eye on the weather because that's what I have my eye on from a side perspective because if it's not too terrible, I want Liberty as well, and I'm already in on the under. So let's move on. We're going to bring a third bowl game in at the same time. And so everything is (laughs) probably either going to be going well or awful for you. Um, But this is a rare time when we'll have three bowl games going on simultaneously because at 3.30 Eastern, we will bring in the Boca Raton Bowl. And I believe we've been pretty – we've agreed on a lot here, but I think we're going to disagree on this one. Uh, And by the way, think Uh of Boca Raton – with an e on the end because that's how you pronounce it so if it's r-a-t-o-n-e um you, you hear a lot of people say raton no uh or raton if you're from <laughs> somewhere in uh the midwest uh, i've heard people say raton but no it's boca raton uh which is home to fau they're hosting this game uh they're 10 and 3 hosting 10 and 2 smu uh i think i'm going to Completely disagree with you here because I like FAU, and uh, you know I think that you've based on some of your notes that I've seen, you're going to make a good case for SMU. But and mm-hmm. something to keep an eye on is Roberson. Has Roberson's status been announced? I just keep hearing his question ha- for SMU.
1: Yeah, it has not.
0: Yeah, I, I would think that he's leaning towards no. I mean, he's coming back for a senior year. This bowl was early, so they were initially leaning to maybe not play, but that will really hurt their passing attack and in their and their return game and Florida Atlantic on special teams is much better. The SMU special teams are hard, which is something to keep in mind. But what I'm looking at here is SMU, you know, they did get fortunate in a couple games early on in the season, and they had bigger dreams than this, than going to Florida Atlantic. So, you know, and you're going to tell me about Sonny Dykes and how excited he was about going to this bowl, which might be fair. (laughs) But you you have to mention that, you know, SMU – Early in the season, they had aspirations of maybe going to New York's Six Bowl. Um, this is a team that was ranked high. It was our favorite team, our, the people's number one. You know, Florida Atlantic, you also have to mention that Lane Kiffin is leaving. But I, I do think from some of the quotes that I'm reading that the team is a fan of, uh, you know, who's stepping in for him uh, for this bowl game. So I think that they'll play for him, and they're at home, uh, and, you know, defend paradise. I think that's what they call it down there. So but what the thing that I keep going back to in this game is – the explosiveness and SMU gives up a ton of explosive plays. They are outside the top 100 in both rushing and passing explosiveness allowed. Well, Florida Atlantic ranks in the top 25 in both on offense. Um, you know, so their offensive line has struggled a lot. So maybe SMU can find some success there. Um, I also think that the Florida Atlantic defensive line can compete um, with SMU's offensive line on the other side. Um, you know, and then if I look at Florida Atlantic's on, on on defense, they give up a ton of big runs, but that is not SMU's game. So I like to throw in the special teams advantage and at home. we Our numbers are just wildly off here. You make this six. I make this mm-hmm. pick, which is what S P and p makes it as well. Um, so catching three here um, with Florida Atlantic, uh, give me – the home owls uh, make your case for the stangs
1: gonna make my case for the stangs and then I'm gonna uh, talk about how the market uh, says I'm completely wrong this feels like when you and I talked about Texas TCU earlier this year where I could sit there and weave uh, a story of mathematics and advanced stats and this and that and this and that but I can tell you that the market has just got their feet dug in and it's not moving whatsoever so you know listen As far as motivation goes, Sonny Dykes and the rest of the team were just elated that they got to go to this bowl. I know that they had higher aspirations to go to one of the bigger bowls, but this was on their short list of destinations that they did want to go to. There was a pouring of emotion on social media uh, if you happen to use things other than Twitter uh, of players and coaches that were excited about going to this. So, you know, they, they want to be in this bowl game and, and that's good. You know, Florida Atlantic, I mean the narrative around everyone, you know, a lot of content I've seen other places is Lane Kiffin's gone. Florida Atlantic is smoked. Oh, and by the way, they have a whole bunch of home field advantage. So at the action network, we actually make uh home field advantage for the owls and uh, Boca Raton. Uh, 1.3. So it's not that great. They're actually one of the worst in home field advantage that we have. Home field advantage for us, for Action Network, is determined on 10 years worth of Uh, covering against the spread data at home. uh, And it's weighted in a thing called the the Taylor series with a three year sample of what they've done recently. So it kind of looks at how good have you been the last three years? How good have you been the last 10 years at home? And if you're consistently beating Vegas, then you deserve to have a bump in your home field advantage. Well, Florida Atlantic doesn't really beat Vegas at home. So they, they've been 1.3, which shows for long-term they haven't been very good at home. So small advantage to FAU for being at home, not really that much. Um, Glenn Spencer's taken over his interim. He was a defensive coordinator. Uh, he's really turned around this Florida Atlantic team on defense this year. They're number three in defensive rushing success rate. They're 18th or 16th in line yards. Uh, 23, top 25 in defensive finishing drives. And that's where I start to get a little you know, worrisome about SMU because they've been scoring at a high pace this year. But the Owls defense has been just the unspoken part of their team this year. It's all been about Kiffin and the offense. But Glenn Spencer has been fantastic as a defensive coordinator for the Owls. Uh, he was taking from Charlotte, uh, I believe, last year. Before that, he was fired uh, at Oklahoma State by Mike Gundy. But uh, he's done a great job. But he may be on the move after this game, too. We don't know if he's going to end up at Ole Miss or where he's going to go. And then, you know, Charlie Weiss is calling the plays here. It's the first time he'll be calling plays without Kiffin next to him. Uh, And, you know, he's 26 years old, so we're going to see what kind of game plan he has. FAU's offense is all boom or bust. I mean, their success rate in rushing is like 97th. Uh, but they're 12th in explosiveness. Passing success rate is 64th, but they're 23rd in explosiveness. So it's really, you know, can they hit the big play? It's not really a move the chains kind of offense. And, you know, explosive play is what SMU's defense gives up. They're really good at success rate, but they do give up the big play. So I hear you in seeing the advanced numbers on Florida Atlantic. That they're going to be able to put points up, and I agree. Uh, and, I, and, you know, my projection did make this six, and the number has just not come off three whatsoever. As a matter of fact, from what I can see, the entire world, all the tickets and the money and the everything is on SMU in this case. And anytime a three and a half comes up, it gets snapped back to three on Florida Atlantic. So if you're a market player just on market alone, you're going to play Florida Atlantic from an advanced statistics. Mustangs are top 20 in past explosiveness. Owls are 58th in defensive pass explosiveness. SMU should be able to hit the deep pass all day. Now, Roberson is listed as very questionable. He's coming back. He's not going to go to the NFL. He's going to come back for next season. But a foot injury has kept him out. It looks like he's what they call very questionable. I'm not sure what that category that falls in. Uh, SMU, this is like the biggest gap. And Havoc ratings, this is the the game with the biggest gap. SMU's defensive Havoc rating is 18th. Florida Atlantic on offense is 93rd. They allow a lot of teams into the backfield. They don't take care of the ball. Like I said, they're boom or bust. So it just depends on what kind of day Florida Atlantic has in protecting the ball. What kind of game plan does Charlie Weiss Jr. have on his own without Lane Kiffin? Uh, You know, will Sonny Dykes make adjustments at halftime against a makeshift interim staff? Uh, So there's, there's a lot of things going on here. I took an under 70. Uh, mostly because of everything I said about Spencer. You know, he, he's led FAU to a rank of uh, uh, top 25 rank in defensive finishing drives. Uh, you know, these teams are top 15 in seconds per play, uh, but I still think the total is just way too high up at 70. I think it should be more around 62, 63. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with SMU. I'm going to stick with my bet on SMU. If I need to get out of it at some point, if it looks like it's a game where, you know, FAU is going to be able to hang around uh, and maybe SMU can, you know, not allow explosive plays, but we're going to see. Maybe. Maybe I'll buy out of it live, but I do feel comfortable about the under as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a scary under, by the way, uh, with the SMU over <laughs> machine and then against Florida Atlantic. But, yeah, I agree that the the total is a little high. Yeah, but it's, a good, it's probably a, lot, a good live betting game uh, that should be back and forth. Now, finishing drives, Florida Atlantic has been really good. SMU has been really good. But if you focus just down on the red zone and then specifically inside the 10, but in the red zone, SMU's outside the top 100 on offense, so I do think that they're going to be able to hit some plays through the air and move the ball. But they might struggle in the red zone here. It's one of the things that's hurt them all year. You know, it's an offense that likes space and likes to operate in space. So if they're not hitting these big plays for touchdowns, um, they've struggled in the red zone at times this year. That could be an issue. Uh, And keep it keep an eye out on uh, the Florida Atlantic tight end Um, Harrison Bryant, who's one of the best tight ends. Uh, in all of college football, uh, he could have a big day up the seam. Um, All right, so let's move on. Those three bowls will be going on at the same time, which is awesome. We'll have the New Mexico Bowl at 2, the Cure Bowl at 2.30, and the Boca Raton Bowl at 3.30 Eastern. But at 5.30, we'll bring in the Camellia Bowl. And everyone will be wanting to bet this because it'll be on an island by itself um, as the Boca Raton (laughs) Bowl is finishing up. Uh, Florida International, taking on Arkansas State. Uh, right now, this line, I believe this was one that was floating around a, a field goal. Yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it came down to two and a half. Uh, the, oh, what's the over-under sitting at right now? Yeah, it looks like sixteen and a half. and a half. So that's come down as well. But Arkansas State is a two and a half point favorite here. The first, you know, What I'll mention here is I played Florida International at plus three. Now they've had a fairly disappointing year. This is a team that we thought could compete for uh, a conference title. They did get that huge win, upset win over Miami. But if you look at this team, you know, it's it underperformed all year. But I think that all of their numbers are understated. And the reasons for that is James Morgan was hurt. He got hurt in the second game of the year was wearing a knee brace. And the offense just wasn't as explosive all year. He wore a knee brace for like two straight months. And, you know, he just wasn't the same quarterback as we saw last year. The offensive line, which had some new pieces, was really struggling early in the year and mid middle of the year. It really started to gel at, at the end of the year. It's one of the reasons they could beat Miami in that great front seven. Um, and, you know, they have two backs in Jones and Maxwell that I think can hit enough explosive runs against an Arkansas defense. that gives up a ton of big plays on the ground. So I think this offense is, you know, is going to look a lot more like the offense that we saw last year than this year and then on the defensive side their best defender sage lewis the middle linebacker he was hurt for a lot of the year and banged up but he really came on the last two games of the year he's a leader of that defense great in coverage probably will play at the next level so he was hurt for a lot of the year so i think his presence will be big now um you know the one of the things to keep in mind when you're arkansas state they have one of the best receivers in the country um in omar bayless uh, he's unbelievable and um i think he was all-american um, uh-huh. but it could have been a first team All-American but the strength of this Florida international team is their secondary keep your eye out on Stanley Thomas Oliver, he's a shot to play at the next level, uh, he's an invited I think to a senior bowl or one of the uh, the uh, pro evaluation games uh, after the season Isaiah Brown is a good corner um, they also have a hybrid in Richard Dames who leads the team in picks and then they have a great nickel corner in Josh Turner, he's one of the best nickel corners in the country, and then throw in a ridiculously good group of safeties, uh, Cushion and Dorian Hall. I think Dorian Hall was first team uh, All PFF at safety, and you have, I think, one of the best two or three defensive backfields in the entire group of five. Uh, so this is, I mean, they, rock, they rank They ranked top 25 in passing yards per attempt, completion percentage, passing explosiveness, and, and then also you know seventh in passing yards per game allowed. So I think that, you know, this offense is a lot healthier and they're they're better than their numbers have showed due to some health and their offensive line coming together. Their defense with Sage Lewis now healthier and they match up well here because what Arkansas State wants to do is throw the ball. And, uh, you know, the strength of this te- FI- FIU team is their secondary. The FIU red zone offense is scary and a concern, but I like where this offense is trending. Uh, and I love the matchup on the other side of the ball. Uh, so give me FIU as a dog here. I had to take him at three. If you can get three, that's great. Uh, if not, I still like them as a dog here in a game. I make a coin flip with FIU trending in the right direction. What do you see here?
1: Yeah, and I think all the reasons that you talked about is the reason why you you know the threes just keep disappearing every time it gets up that high. I I don't expect much more steam on Arkansas State. There's also, you know, the narrative out there about the bowl records. Blake Anderson's 1-4 and four against the spread and bowl games. Uh, his lone cover was a, a win against Central Florida in 2016. Uh, and then if you look at Butch Davis, he's like, I think, what, 8-1 and one against the spread and bowls? I mean, we would talk about him more than we would, say, Doc Holliday and Marshall, which we'll get to later. Uh, but, I mean, he always has his team prepared. For me, this was a really tough cap. I have no investment down. I have no money on this whatsoever because I make the game, too. And it sits on two and a half, uh, you know. So I'm not really sure if I'm going to get involved in this game. It was a low confidence game that I put in on Arkansas State, uh, you know. And I mentioned Lane Hatcher to Omar Bayless has been one of the best duos in the nation, 84 catches, almost 1,500 yards. Uh, I mean, but I mean, you, you look at the strength of schedules on these guys. I mean, Florida International is 122nd, and Arkansas State's 89th. So it just hasn't been, you know, like Murder's Row of, of teams that they've gone up against. Although, you know, FIU's victory. At, at you know, at uh, at Marlins Park over Miami, that was you know, it's just a program-defining win. Considering all the players at FIU were from the Miami area, Butch Davis coached at Miami. That was you know, I just wonder if there's a hangover effect of we won our Super Bowl. I mean, that was Butch Davis' personal Super Bowl. That was the players' personal Super Bowl, and now we're being shipped off to the Camellia Bowl to go up against Arkansas State, who has been an emotionally charged and taxed team the entire season. Even before when a player is reported to camp in August, there's just been so much for this team to deal with as far as supporting its head coach uh, and what he's had to deal with off the field. Uh, You know, I don't know if that's good or that's bad. I know that, uh, you know, they had a breakdown in last year's bowl game. Um, So, you know, that we'll see how it goes. But, you know, FIU is 46 and passes defensed. That is something I know you mentioned that they have a couple players in the secondary that they can play at the next level, but for, you know from a passes defense perspective. Uh, you know, they're closer to mid-pack of the, of the FBS than they are anywhere close to the top 25, so neither team is havoc-minded uh, neither team is, is good uh, you know, that great in, in kickoff and in certain areas of the special teams um, you know, they're not good at field position, uh, neither team is <laughs> that good defensively in finishing drives, specifically Arkansas State is 121st in defensive finishing drives so, uh, you know, it's just a, a game where I think the number is correct, there's no investment from me uh, I don't think I'm going to be playing it live. Uh, and it's just low confidence on Arkansas state based on the fact that I think that they're uh, you know, the Bayless and Hatcher connection can probably get something done.
0: Well, I mean, uh, one thing I will mention, one of the reasons that I love FIU going into the season was they their leaders on both sides of the ball and Sage Lewis at middle linebacker uh, and James Morgan, at quarterback and both of them were hurt right. for long stretches, which is why I think FIU is undervalued here in the market and better than a lot of their numbers. But, On that same side, now that they're healthy, I do trust them to have their units fired up. Sage Lewis now is healthy to fire up the defense. And then keep in mind, James Morgan, fifth-year senior, this is his first bowl. That he'll play, and he was hurt last year uh, for the bowl. Uh, So I think he'll relish the opportunity here. Um, All right, so let's move on. And by the way, we'll have in-depth previews for every single bowl game uh, up on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Uh, But let's move on to the night slate on Saturday. Uh, We'll start in uh, Sin City at 7:30 Eastern on ABC, the Las Vegas Bowl between Boise State and Washington. This is the Chris Peterson farewell bowl. Uh, He has not been great in bowls uh, at Washington. He's one in four. Oh, uh, for his last three. Uh, something to note here is that Washington will be without two of its better players on offense: tackle Trey Adams, uh, and then their uh, their tight end. He's officially out, right, Hunter Bryant? Yeah, Hunter yes. Bryant is officially out too. Both of them will play at the next level, uh, so they're sitting out with their futures in mind. Uh, now, when I look at this game. By the way, you know, from a motivational perspective, I think, you know, you could argue Boise wanted to be in a New Year's Six Bowl, but they're playing Washington, a power five team. And I think Washington is going to be really up for this game as well, even though they had a disappointing year. They want to send Pearson out on top. Um, You know, and I think Washington's actually I think I think we're going to disagree on this game. Washington, if you look at their losses, they had five losses on this game. uh, Excuse me, five losses on the season. I think four were by six or fewer points. So they were right there in a lot of games. I think they have the better offense, the better defense. And they have the better special teams. This is one of the best special teams units um, in all of college football. Keep a close eye on the punting. The punting edge is huge for field position uh, for for Washington here. So, you know, I think both teams will want to be here, so it's not a motivational thing for me. Um, Even without Adams, I like the Washington offensive line um, that I think can, um, you know, contain that Boise pass rush. Washington gives up no explosive plays on defense, none. And I just don't trust Boise enough to consistently put together drives against this Washington defense that I think will be fired up. I think that this is a little cheap um, in the market. And Washington is severely undervalued for a lot of their, you know, bad luck and just dis- some. They had a couple disappointing results, uh, you know, against Stanford in particular. Um, but I like Washington here, at minus three or better. You you disagree, right?
1: I disagree. And I took Boise at three and a half and I would suggest trying to get a three and a half. There's a couple out there in the market. Uh, I would try to search for that and get that, um, you know, because I I like Boise in this game, even though our Action Network projections make this game five and a half. Washington
0: is 130th in power success rate. Uh, Uh This is a a defense that, you know, and Vita Veya. Recently, it was just dominating yeah. on the line. 130. I bet you're going to mention
1: that, right? They are 130th in power success, right? They're 78th in stuff rate right on defense. The defense is just the defensive the defensive front seven has just not been very good. Now you're right; they do limit explosiveness, and they have been good at that. They keep everything in front of them. But from a success rate perspective, from a ground thing, from a ground perspective, what they've been able to do against teams against the rush uh, and the front seven, it's been one of the worst Washington defenses that we've seen in years. And that's just giving a lot of respect to. What what we've seen out of Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator who's now the head coach. Uh, but they still are you know ninth in finishing drives, watching defenses. But I just I get this feeling that they don't want to be there. Like I don't think Chris Peterson is that fired up to be playing Boise. I don't think he's that fired up to play Brian Harrison. And you know, I, I, this is not a rival to him. These teams have played each other four times in the last thirteen years, and they don't. It's not a heated rivalry. The, the you know, Chris Peterson got done playing Boise a couple years ago, and then he went into like the locker room to talk to all the the players and the coaches. I mean, this this is there's nothing about this. These I don't think these teams want to play each other. Boise wanted to be in the Cotton Bowl, so I mean that works both ways, but. From a motivation perspective, I'm just not sure these teams are that fired up to be here. Uh, nine members of the current Washington staff were coaches at Boise. So, I mean, there's a lot of familiarity going on here. But I think that that loss of Trey Adams at left tackle, I think that's really the most important thing. Him sitting out for the NFL is big because Washington's not been able to keep teams out of the backfield whatsoever. They have not had a clean pocket for Jacob Eason all season. Uh, you know, Jacob Eason, who's, who's pending an NFL draft grade, which is interesting because I'm waiting for my NFL draft grade too. I I assume that Eason, you know, is going to not probably get drafted by the NFL, but he hasn't had a clean pocket all year. And, you know, Boise has a slight advantage in sack rate, but I think those numbers increase with the loss of Adams, uh, you know, and I just think the Washington offensive line is going to have a problem here. Broncos are 22nd defensive havoc. They're top 25 in tackles for loss. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're just going to consistently be in the Huskies face uh, offensively. And I think that's going to really limit Washington's scoring, um, You know, like I said, Washington's defense taking a huge step back. They're 94th in havoc. They're not causing anything on defense. They don't have any takeaways whatsoever. And you're right. I got it right here in my notes, 130th in power success rate. That means Boise's going to convert every third and fourth and short. They're always going to be able to make it here because they're going up against the worst defense in the nation when it comes to stopping third and two, fourth and one. So, like I said, I make it five and a half, but the loss of Trey Adams, uh, I just like Boise in this spot a lot more. I don't think I would go... At three or below three, but I definitely like it at three and a half or above for Boise.
0: Well, it just shows you how important the numbers. I wouldn't go above three for for uh, Washington. <laughs> it's not uh,
1: a major edge. This is a very low investment weekend. I just wa- I just want to get that out there. Like I-, I am not throwing as much investment out of my wallet into this weekend as much as I will be post Christmas. There's so much going on for these coaches now with this early signing period, and they can't use all 15 bowl practices. Generally, you get done with your regular season, you can start your 15 bowl practices. But there's finals for the players. There's this early signing period for the coaches. There's coaches moving around, assistants moving around. Everybody's trying to put their house up on the market. It's just, the first weekend is more unpredictable, I think, than the rest of the bowl season. So I just want to say to everybody, like, you know, that you know, I would take it easy here. This is this is not a this is not a a simple, you know, 5K race. This is a marathon. And we got about a month worth of games and lasting out until January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 6th. So, uh, you know, the investments are low this weekend. I, I think the hammer really comes after Christmas.
0: All right. Fair enough. And just to mention the Pac-12, the la- we mentioned their struggles the last three years, they are seventeen th- and th- one against the spread. Three seventeen and one. The MAC is four ten and three and two and fifteen straight up. The Big Twelve thirteen and six against the spread and thirteen and six straight up. Guess what? I think they're all dogs. The Big Twelve is all. Mm-hmm. Every Big Twelve team is a dog here. Um, all right. So let's move on to the last game on Saturday. Which is the uh, New Orleans bowl or New Orleans Bowl? 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN between UAB and App State. Uh, look, this UAB offense is ugly. The offensive line is ugly. Spencer Brown's had a bad year, in part due to that offensive line. The weapons on the outside are ugly, and if you look at a lot of the numbers, they are ugly, as you would expect. Even though they had one of the easiest schedules in the country, so it just speaks to how bad this UAB offense is. They're also a snail. They play really slow. The other side of the ball, App State doesn't play fast. I do think that they'll have some success on offense, but, you know, and App State, by the way, they one weakness on defense. They can give up some big plays, but that is not UAB at all. So I think App State will be able to shut down this UAB offense. So the other side of the ball, you know, the UAB defensive line is legit, um, and I believe in them, and I think they're going to be able to compete here. I think they can, you know, play well enough to make sure that this game doesn't get completely out of hand. And what I mean by completely out of hand is like 50 to 10, because I like the under here at 48. There's also rumors swirling around if you search on Twitter uh, about uh, UAB's quarterback potentially being Mm – uh, ineligible for, I think academics. Uh, it's not drug related. I think it's academics. So that's not announced yep. or anything. But if you search Twitter, there's people asking people about it. Um, so if that happens, their backup is dreadful. The offense just goes to nothing. Um, even worse than it already is. So uh, you know, and like I said, App State doesn't play that fast. Um, you know, we have to mention the App State coaching change here. But I like the under here.
1: Yeah, and I don't blame you. I, I kind of like the under here too. I know the projection is just a little tad higher than this, but Apple App State. I think they're number thirty-eight in the confidence pool out of forty. I'll focus more on the UAB side, whether Tyler Johnson plays or not. If they don't play, their backup quarterback is all ground game. When he played earlier this season, which I, I don't know why you know Tyler Johnson's to have an issue with grades, he sat out most of the from like mid October to mid November. He had plenty of time to to get his grades up, but uh, yeah, I think they're from what I read off message boards. Uh, he's taking his finals here the, these last couple of days, and and the grades are really going to determine whether he's going to play. If not. UAB's backup quarterback has was basically not allowed to throw. He had a couple INTs uh, when he took over earlier in, in November, and he was not allowed to throw anymore, and Bill Clark went to an absolute 100% rushing offense. So what does that mean to you? If Tyler Johnson is announced out, take the under. Because this is going to be a complete rushing attack from UAB. They were successful with it, but they were playing like UTEP, UTSA, those kind of teams. It's going to be a little bit different against an App State front seven that was really good and decent and, and was you know causing havoc against North Carolina and South Carolina uh, in some victories there. So look for that. I'm going to make a case. I, I know I'm going to make a case of why you should not take UAB, even maybe if we get up to... Seventeen and a half, and I and I will say that this number uh, is pretty high. I mean, I had it at twelve and a half, but uh, you know, an SP Plus has this at fourteen, so it's above the projections. But I still don't think anybody should be taking UAB. I think App State is the play. Uh, it's what I got in on. Uh, besides all the advanced numbers, which are completely going to be in Appala- App State's favor, you have to think about how UAB got into this situation. They remind me of Akron two years ago. Akron got into the MAC championship game because Ohio just completely just stabbed themselves in the eye with a pencil two years ago and knocked themselves out of the Mac East race. Akron, by default, got into the Mac Championship game and just got, you know, boat raced. And then because of that, the bull ties are what sent Akron down to FAU uh, to, what, play the Owls? And they lost by 50 they got a 50 burger put on them in the in the Boca Raton Bowl two years ago. They had no business being in the Mac Championship game. They had no business being in a tie-in game where the Mac loser goes automatically to the Boca Raton Bowl. So this is exactly what UAB's situation is. They only beat Louisiana Tech by six. Louisiana Tech suspended their quarterback, was missing their star wide receiver. They barely got a a six point win over Louisiana Tech. And then they were gifted a pick six to Mason Fine. That's what put them in the Conference USA Championship game against Florida Atlantic, where they had a 50 burger put up against them because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Now, because they lost that game, because they kind of lucked their way into the conference championship game, and they lost that game. That's how they get into the New Orleans Bowl, and they get the Sun Belt champion. They should not be in this game. I think Appalachian State is absolutely going to destroy this team, who is behind their new head coach Sean Clark. He was in interim. They took that interim tag off of him. Uh, This is a guy that wasn't there just for Eli Drinkwood's stay over the last year. He was there through the Scott Satterfield days. The players love this guy. This is a upperclassman dominated roster. They were one of the biggest uh, highest ranked teams in returning production and they want to go out. This team has won four straight bowl games in a row. And for the fifth-year seniors on this squad, they have a chance to do something I don't think any program's ever done, which is go 5-0 and o and bowls consecutively. And they know that. They've spoken about it. So I, I just think this is a route from the start.
0: Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'd like the under. You think that's a route. You'd lean towards the under as well. Keep your eye out on the UAB quarterback situation. Um, all right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out.
1: One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out.
0: Uh, On first down, let's talk Monday day (laughs) football. Is it day? This is what I've been waiting for. (laughs) Monday afternoon football, once I become the betting czar of the U.S., uh, I will mandate that there should be a bowl every Monday in December. Yes. Every Monday. doesn't matter. Uh, But this will be our first Monday afternoon bowl. This is the Gasparilla Bowl, the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl in Tampa, Florida between Marshall and UCF. Uh, The problem is, and UCF, I believe, is sitting around a 17-17 net point favorite against Marshall. The problem is I don't have a good
1: feel here. Um, does UCF right. care? I know Marshall's been great against the spread. Help, Help us out here. I'm sitting back. I haven't made a play on this in the action app, and I haven't put any money into it because my projection is 19 and SP plus is at 20. And I think once the public gets into bowl betting, they're going to have their say in this game. And some money's going to come in on central Florida and it's going to push the number up above the 17, 17 and a half. I'd be shocked if this thing closed below 17. So that being said, I'm just sitting back until the day of the game. And if I can get this thing to run on game day, like we've seen crazy bowls like this, like just a team like central Florida that the public loves, I've, I, I can see the number just running Outrageously, So I'm just going to sit around and go back on that because not a lot of people realize that Doc Holliday is 6-0 against the spread. He loves playing in the state of Florida. He was in the Bad Boy Mowers last year, uh, had no problems winning that game. He loves going to Florida because that's where he gets all of his recruits. Uh, he is one of the best when it comes to coming off of a bye or going to a bowl game. He always has his teams completely prepared. So I'm looking to play Marshall here and the Herd, i want a much better number i want a number above my projections i want a number above the sp plus projections and i think the public's going to get involved sunday night or monday morning and get it that way now remember take this marshall beat florida atlantic earlier this season florida atlantic's a team that runs a similar pace of play has explosiveness just like central florida the herd hit eight different targets for reception in that game expect this to be slower paced I expect Marshall, who's top 25 in sack rate on defense, to take advantage of what I think is going to be a disinterested Central Florida team. They played in two New Year's Six uh, Bowl games straight, and now they're just making a quick one-hour bus ride down to Tampa. So I, I don't see how UCF wants to be in this game. It should be a grind of a game, and Doc Holiday gets the cover here. But wait for it to steam. Yeah, keep in mind, um, I believe my guy obi their best receiver, will
0: be playing too, and he wasn't available most of the year. Um, mm mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So let's move on here, and we'll have a write-up for that game. I'm going to dig it a little more. That is Monday, Um, so we have a little more time to dig. For second down, let's just talk really quickly. FCS. Uh, So you have two. You know, we we're all expecting James Madison versus North Dakota State. They're both hosting games this weekend. North Dakota State's hosting Montana State. They're laying seventeen and a half. Uh, James Madison is hosting Weber State. They're laying sixteen. I like James Madison. I think they've this Weber State offense and away from home, the Weber State offense is just – look, James Madison so complete. Special teams, defense, offense. I think they're the best team in the country. I think they're better than North Dakota State. Uh, so I'm I, I'm thinking of laying it here. I'll probably stay off – the North Dakota state game. Do you see anything here?
1: The market's at 16 right now. So I don't really see the value in the number, but that being said, because of what happened against Northern Iowa last week and the low scoring and the, and the weather uh, and the fact that, you know, they could just sit on the ball. I think that's the reason for the low score. So I, I would back James Madison here and I would take an over uh, at Weaver State's a different team away from home. So I think that's the play.
0: Fair enough. And then before we get out of here, third down favorite money line dog uh, of the weekend through Monday, we got, I'm taking Boise. Uh, I'm going Kent State. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Again, keep in mind that we will have... Uh, We have four more bowl previews to go The second one will come out on Monday We'll cover the weekday bowls and then again another episode On Friday, same schedule, we'll have five Eventually we're going to get to the college football playoff Uh, We'll be out in Vegas for the national championship Bowl season is here Subscribe, unsubscribe, tell a friend Tell an enemy, Uh, leave a review, that helps us a ton I'm going to be sending out Prize packs, chargers, and uh, uh, Anybody who, you say it's bowl season baby Or Monday bowls, mention Monday bowls Forever, you'll get into running for this Latest prize that I'll do at the end of bowl season So Thanks for listening again. Good luck on the bowls this weekend. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. It's the
1: most wonderful time. It's yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time
0: of the
1: year. We're finished talking.